Welcome to Money Your Way. My name is Jess and I'll be your host. This podcast is all about empowering women just like you to feel confident when making choices in the world of personal finance. It can feel super confusing and overwhelming when there's unfamiliar lingo and tons of options. So I'll do my best to keep this fun and simple as we learn together. What do you say? Let's jump right in. Welcome to today's episode of Money Your Way. Our guest today is Lindsay Concher, and she is going to be sharing with us a little bit about her journey as well as now her position as a financial therapist. So Lindsay, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you here. Do you want to share a little bit more about who you are um, and so our listeners can get to know you first? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So I became a clinical social worker. Um, I got my master's in social work in 2019. And then shortly after that, my husband and I got married. And shortly after that, a pandemic happened. And three weeks before the pandemic hit, I found out I was pregnant. So it was kind of a whirlwind into motherhood. Having a pandemic baby was interesting. Um, And now she is two and a half, almost three. And I have a baby and I slowly through motherhood is like, as you're experiencing and probably going to soon experience more of is there's so much fun and beauty in it. And there's so much transition and identity crises and all these different things, because (laughs) I knew I was like, I want to stay home with my kids, but I want to have a flexible career. Like I'm also like very purpose driven. And I really like my purpose is bigger than just my children. Like they are obviously a huge reason for my why and things, but I also have my own identity that I really want to make sure that I don't lose among the whole motherhood thing. So um, when I had my son, he's almost nine months. And so when he was just a couple months old, I learned about financial social work. And so, as I said, I'm a social worker by trade. And so then I was like, this is it. I've always been so interested in finances. I think that in therapy settings in general, people still don't talk about money. They still are really, there's a lot of guilt and shame and embarrassment around money. And so I am so interested in having more of those conversations, like what money is and means and can do and the opportunities that it holds and all this different stuff. And so I then became a licensed um, or a certified financial social worker and coach. And so, yeah, now I'm now I'm here doing it and it's been super fun taking on clients and chatting with people about it. So I'm mostly, I say a mom by day and a financial coach by night and weekends. <laughs> yeah. Cause you're working around other people's, you know, work schedules and all of that. That's totally. awesome. And for, you know, anyone listening, me and you connected over um, a virtual meeting through the brave space, which is like a Charlotte meetup for a lot of go-getter women. Um, it's a safe space for them to connect. And they did a virtual like s- series for speakers and you were on the guests there. So you shared on that call, a lot of your journey and stuff. I would love for you to share some of that here and we can kind of like dive into it as we keep talking. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So kind of like my little, like last, what, I don't know, four or five years. Um, but yes, further than that, it was what we call like a money story. I don't know what your listeners know. So, um, but yeah, so a money story is just kind of like what your beliefs and, and ideas around money are and kind of where they stem from. And so when I was growing up, my household had a lot, a lot, a lot of fights around money. It was, um, a lot of contention, a lot of arguing, 
Um, or it was like stonewalling, like they were fighting about something. We didn't really know what it was, but there was like a lot of tension. And ultimately finances are a big reason um, what, whatever led to my parents' divorce. And then that was a three-year-long process from the day they, they filed, from the day they finalized was over three years. And so it was a very long, drawn-out, petty, petty, petty divorce. Um, and so much of it was around money. Like, who gets the stupid iron? Like, that dumb. Um, and so I have, like, a lot of money memories that are just really negative. And so then when I kind of internalize that, like, oh, maybe money is bad or money makes you bad or money doesn't grow on trees or like all these, you know, dumb sayings that we hear growing up. And then finally, yeah, in my early twenties, I was kind of like, what if money actually gives me options? Like I was working in, as a, as a college student working and I was like, no, like it doesn't have to be so bad, you know, like we can figure this out. And so then I just got really interested in it and started kind of learning everything I could about it. And fast forward a decade and here I am like money is amazing and everyone should talk about it and it's great (laughs) (laughs) and so when you were like deciding to start learning and and do all that on your own were you going to podcasts were you going to books were you mainly searching on google like what was your source of most of that information because I think that can also be overwhelming yeah no it definitely is overwhelming for sure the first person that I saw was Dave Ramsey. And I think when I started learning about it, cause he just, he pops up everywhere. Like you type in money and it's like Dave Ramsey, right? Like, so he's kind of the first person that people see at the time I was like interested in what he had to say. And as time has gone on and I've learned more, that was, I definitely don't agree with his approach for a lot of things. Um, but I really like audiobooks. Those are kind of my go-to with, um, well, especially at the start, that was a lot of my go-to. So there's definitely other resources that maybe you could link. Um, but like, I will teach you to get rich or be rich or whatever the Netflix show, um, Ramit Sethi is his name. So he's really great with a lot of information that he has. I like his approach. Um, and then the financial feminist is another book that I really, really like. And she is also very, I don't know, she's not mean to people which is nice (laughs) I appreciate that (laughs) yeah I love audiobooks too and I think there's something so special when the author themselves does the recording like you just hear it through a different light and a lot more passion so I'm definitely a big fan of that and I'll I'll link those resources for sure so I want to ask you you know as you kept learning I mean now you're married and all of that did you like include any of your conversations through like the dating world? Because one of the things I think about is the first interview I did for this podcast, my guest talked about how when she went on the first date with her at that time boyfriend, like she asked, like, what's your credit score? And had this like <laughs> a list of questions. And I mean, I, I love that because it just, she has completely removed the taboo from the money conversation. But what did that look like for you in a relationship? Okay. First of all, I love her. That's amazing. Um, (laughs) I, I was not, so my husband and I met when we were, when I was 23, he was 25. So he was kind of a part of my like learning and growth and stuff. So like when I was later college, like 21, 22, I started kind of like learning about just finances in general, but just more like 
not so serious about it, I guess. And then he and I got pretty serious pretty quickly. And by that, I mean, like we were living together at eight months. Like we were just very like, we're, this is it. Like you're my person kind of thing. And so he was actually a part of that journey with me. It was like, he came from a very different background. He got a full ride, um, to his college. And so he came out with very little debt, uh, zero debt. Um, and so, and I came out with debt. And so I wanted to know, you know, like, look, what does that look like? And he was already saving for a down payment on a house and things like that, which I was very happy renting. And so we had to have a lot of those conversations. Like, do we want a house? Do we want, you know, what, what does our life look like? And that was really the approach that's just logically always made sense in my mind. Like, I feel like sometimes when you start this learning journey, people are so focused on the numbers and on the, this and on the, that. And really like he and I talked about the life that we foresee ourselves having, like we wanted kids and we wanted to stay in Minnesota and we wanted to be relatively close to his family and to my family. And, you know, like these things are the things that mattered. And then we'd have the conversation, well, how do we get there? And then we would talk about how money could be used as a tool, right. To help us out in that, and then kind of make an actionable plan for some of like that, those student loans that I was, that I had. And like, I knew I wanted to go back for my master's and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Like, what did that look like? And so it was just a really natural free flowing conversation, but I wasn't like, what's your credit score. But just, (laughs) I think mostly like, you know, having those shared goals and then reverse engineering how to get to those goals is my favorite approach. Even now that I take with clients is like, that makes sense to me. Like, then you already have your North star, you know, exactly where you want to go. And then it's just about figuring out how to do it. What I love about that, just hearing it, you know, being on the outside is you start with something positive. You start with something that you want and you're excited about, and then you create the goal and the steps to get there going backwards versus what's the problem right now? Why are we having issues and trying to move out of this negative space? Because Mm -hmm. yeah, a lot of it too, it combines with emotions. And so you did just mention clients. I want to talk a little bit about, you know, what that experience has been like for you, where you've navigated things for yourself and, you know, a partner. Mm -hmm. How has that been hearing some of the, let's see, like therapy sessions with your clients around money in the ways that they relate to you and other ways that you're like, oh, I wasn't expecting this to come up and I've had to professionally navigate how to support this person. Yeah, no, that's a really good question. I think a lot of different things have come up and it's simply because every person's experience with money is different, right? Like even if you were born in the exact same year, experienced the exact same recessions, experienced the exact same pandemic, it was still experienced differently. Like there's just no way to like, to like that it wasn't. So like, there's so many blanket statements like floating around the internet right now. Like this is what you need to do. And it's like, okay, some of that can be generalized. But what I found to be true across the board with every single client that I have is even if you are making, you know, I have clients that are making like $30,000 and I have clients that are making more than $300,000 a year. It's just depends on, and then they have different struggles in, in that, you know, like, it's just, it's very different. And what's interesting is so many people have this mindset, like, well, if I make more money, then that will, that will take away all my problems. And the reality (laughs) is like, that's just not how it works. Like the more money you have, like your spending habits are going to continue being 
you know, quote unquote, a problem. If that's, if that's the problem that you're working towards, right. If you're like, say you're making for sake of ease, $50,000, but you're spending incessantly, that's just going to happen. Whether you have a hundred thousand dollars, $150,000 or more, like it doesn't matter. Um, your habits are what your habits are. And so that's been really interesting. Um, I, I guess my approach is just very cohesive. Like we're working on stuff together. And so I don't know if there's been any, like, because I don't really necessarily give advice on things. Like I just kind of like educate, like if we need to turn to the numbers, we will, but mostly like asking broader questions of like, well, what do you think about that? Do you think that number is a good number for, you know, maybe a contract that somebody's received? Like, okay, does that feel fair to you? If so, why, if not, why things like that? So I really like to try and take a client centered strengths-based approach to let them kind of navigate their own journey, but ask the important questions to make sure they're understanding like exactly what they're going through. Does that make sense? I don't know. Yeah, no, it does. And I think, (laughs) you know, what you're bringing up from that is people aren't asking these questions of themselves on their own. Like if you're in a, call it healthy financial state for yourself, Mm -hmm. you're probably going to be having these conversations in your own head because it's a happy thought. It's Mm -hmm. something that you enjoy thinking about, you feel good about. And so you're not going to run away from that. But I'm hearing now, like if there's some sort of struggle behind it or a mindset that impacts the way that it's perceived, then you're just going to avoid it. Or some people might, right? Mm -hmm. And so you're kind of that safe space for them to have the conversation, to think through it. Does that what does that align with what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. You paraphrase that very well. Like, I think we just have like those deeper, deeper conversations. I probe a little bit more. I just get you thinking a little bit more because we can only think so much kind of on our own. Like it's always helpful to have somebody secondhand come in, whether that's for, you know, your general, like your health, what you're eating, what your exercise, right? Like it's, it's all in the same thing. Financial wellness is just as important like as others things of wellness. And so to have somebody, you know, if you're having mental health concerns, you go to a therapist and talk to them. Now you're having financial concerns. You come to a financial therapist, right? Like that, it, that it just works. So, um, yeah, you captured that very well. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say, like, how have you seen that people's financial health impacts other areas of their life? Such a good question. And in every single area, (laughs) um, I'm actually putting together a presentation on this right now. So it's funny you ask this, but literally like there are the emotional toll, like there was a survey that just came out and I can send it, link it to you. So you can put in the show notes too, if you want, but, um, 90% of people report financial finances being impacting their stress negatively in their life. It is the number one stressor in America because it literally seeps into every single aspect of your life. There's no way to differentiate it, right? It's like your health, your money. And if you have kids are the three things that impact every single decision you make your health, right? Like, am I healthy enough to do X, Y, or Z? Am I in the financial place where I can do X, Y, or Z and your kids, like, do I need a babysitter? Are they coming with me? (laughs) Right. Like, like, right. As long as you're still the one that's keeping them alive. Like when, if your kids are in that age, right. Cause if you have kids and they're grown that's probably not as relevant but maybe it is for different questions on what does this mean for what I leave for my kids talking about estate planning and stuff which is another fun conversation totally is we're doing (laughs) that right now um but yeah so I think I mean from like an emotional standpoint 
if you are under debt, whether it's $2,000 of debt or, you know, $20,000 of debt or more, it feels suffocating, right? Like your whole body is every choice you make, like, should I go get this Starbucks? Should I, you know, be price comparing all of the things that at the grocery store, or should I do this DoorDash or, you know, all this stuff. And it can feel so heavy. We know that people lose sleep based on financial stress a lot. And there's like physical things too, like increased blood pressure. Um, so like it literally impacts every single thing and more so than you realize, like, it's really interesting talking to other therapists, just like generalists that, you know, their client comes in and they're like, Oh, I'm sleeping really poorly. I'm doing this. My husband and I are fighting or whatever. And they will talk about every single other thing other than the money. And that's totally fine. Not every therapist out there should probably be talking about money, but it is a really important thing to consider. Like just because you're not necessarily on like something like a, like a assistance program, like food stamps or something doesn't mean that you're not struggling financially. Right. And I think like, that's almost the barrier, like, or the threshold of which most therapists are thinking, like, do you need help with transportation? Do you need food assistance? Do you need housing assistance? All of those are really important for a lot of people, but unless you like need those, those things, they kind of like assume that money's fine. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, 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 wait, that's not how it works. You know, like student loans are kicking in. Like that's really, really stressful for a lot of people. Like there's just a lot more to it than, than kind of like the basic needs. Yeah. You know? Well, that made me think of something else because you talked about kind of the perception from someone else of another person's finances and mm-hmm. kind of want to hear your take on how do you think social media is impacting people's stress around money? Because I mean, I don't want to like go too much into what I think you're going to say, but <laughs> the whole keeping up with the Joneses thing and highlight reels is something that really 20 years ago that other generation didn't have to deal with in the same way. I mean, it was more so just the physical things, right? Who, What mm-hmm. car they drove into work and what suit brand name they were wearing. But now we can have so much stuff that can just be made up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I um, kind of want to hear you talk about that. I could talk about this for hours, but I will keep it fairly concise. I write this in, in my book, like we are not only keeping up with the Joneses, but we're keeping up with the Kardashians and we're keeping up with every other person that we see in the world because it is at our fingertips, right? So it's really, really hard. And social media, you are the consumer, right? So there's targeted ads that are so easy. Two clicks later, you have hundreds of dollars worth of stuff in your cart and you can buy it and it can be at your doorstep in less than 48 hours. Like we just live in a much faster world. And so it's done that way specifically because it is literally harder for you to not click the button because you actively have to think, oh no, I shouldn't do this. And this is why, and whatever. And it is way easier to go click, click, click and have it at your doorstep. Right. Um, so a couple of things on that one, I made a couple of reels over the past few weeks about this stuff. Like my family, we don't have Amazon prime because it was too easy to just buy whatever we wanted whenever we wanted. Now we're a little bit more intentional with it. And that's our primary reason for not having prime. I don't, if you have it fine, like I don't, that's, that's totally your choice for us. It was just like, we were too impulsive with it. So that was a way to like curb spending for us. And it's been great. Well, and Um, now with everyone having like their own, you know, Alexa around the house and stuff, I remember in the early days of prime, 
there was a story that came out of like a kid who had ordered something through the <laughs> Alexa. I think it was like a huge dollhouse or something. And the mom's like, what the heck is this? And the kid's like, oh, thanks. <laughs> like, you know, that no connection between like how things happen. They just see, talk to the thing on the counter and it shows up and right. makes me happy. Anyway, right. sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> no, I love that. No, it's so true. Even like that's because we're, again, we're really conscious about how we're, like teaching money to our children obviously our nine-month-old is you know not less of our concern but like my daughter when she's at the store I want her to pay and so we'll work on giving her cash and letting her understand what that is because that is part of the problem right is people can be so disconnected from their money because it's all virtual it's all online it's all so simple to do that um so that no that's actually such a such a great story um, the other thing that I think is there's this thing in psychology called the mere exposure effect. And all it means is like, when you are merely exposed to something over and over and over, you start thinking like, oh, I think I like that. And that is exactly how fashion works in general, right? Is like, maybe I don't like this specific, I always use the example of bucket hats because I freaking hate bucket hats, but people wear them all the time. And I'm like, do people actually think they're cute? I'm so confused. But I think it's this mere exposure effect that literally they see a bucket hat and then they see another and then they see another and they go from like hating a bucket hat and all of a sudden four bucket hats later, they're like, wait, I think I need a bucket hat. You know, it's just like once we see it, well, now we're scrolling on our phones and we see whoever in whatever and over and over and over again, we're seeing, you know, a really cute swimsuit brand or something well then the ad comes up and we've seen it three times and all of a sudden we've convinced ourselves that we need it or we're probably going to die tomorrow if we don't have it so we might as well just buy it right like it's just everything is just faster it, it like our our it, it we just don't have to think about it is really what's happening with that so love social media for reasons hate social media for others and if you're having an issue with like you know for this example spending then that might be a a place you want to start noticing when you're buying from things that you've seen a lot on social media. <laughs> yeah, no, I love all of that. So you mentioned your book. Go ahead and give a quick little overview of what that is. I love helping to plug and support, you know, women entrepreneurs. Thank you. Yes. I wrote a book. Um, it is called, I got 99 coping skills and being a bitch ain't one. And it is quite literally a list of 99 coping skills that I personally used with a lot of patients through my previous practice as, you know, in a inpatient psychiatric hospital, um, things of that nature. And actually finances is spoken about briefly in it. It's one of the, of the coping skills, though it could be, you know, several books, um, uh, yeah. I think that's a sign, <laughs> <laughs> right? Maybe, maybe and people keep asking me, they're like, are you going to write another one? I'm like, I don't know. I'm still excited about the first one and it would be really great, you know, eventually too, but, um, Oh, you mean it's just like when you have kids and within two weeks, people are like, are you having a second? <laughs> Literally? I'm like, what is with that? Can I just like soak in this baby snuggle? And like, I don't know, figure out what the heck is happening to my life before you ask me if I'm going to push another bowling ball out of a space that is not meant for bowling balls. Like, I just don't know. <laughs> crazy people are crazy but yes that is my book and so I loved it it's super fun I've gotten a lot of really good feedback on it people it's just it's very like quippy and sarcastic and you know I think just in general talking about mental health can be so like womp womp um and so I wanted to make sure I kind of made it very actionable very functional um while still keeping it lighthearted and you know 
I'll definitely link it. No, I appreciate that. What would you say? I don't, I, I'm not a big fan of saying like the number one, because I feel like if I were to ask somebody that on three different days of the week, they'd actually give me three different answers. So what is one of the top money, like mindset struggles that you see people go through? I think uh, it's hard because again, everyone is so unique. Um, And so it really depends on where you're at in your journey consistently when people have debt, I think, especially a lot of debt, like whether it's student loans or credit card debt or a combination of, or medical debt or whatever. Um, I think a lot of people can get really disheartened when they're not seeing those numbers go down as fast as they wanted to. Um, and so a lot of things of that nature are really hard to work through because people have, again, a lot of shame and guilt around, loans that are like you took them out to get an education you know but like I've had a lot of clients that like didn't finish their degree for example and so then there's even more shame and guilt having these student loans and nothing quote-unquote nothing to show for it kind of thing and I get it it is it's really hard so that's one thing we call it the ostrich effect but when people are just like avoidant about talking about money in general for one reason or another like I mean there's a plethora of reasons that like lead to that, but it's like literally sticking your head in the sand and pretending that they don't exist. Like whether that's having a hard time opening bills, opening up your bank statements in general, like just stuff like that. So just really seeing the numbers and seeing where you actually kind of lie within, you know, your spending and saving and investing and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then finally, one that people are really surprised by is like I've worked with a lot of people that actually do have the capacity to be able to spend. Like they do have the money where it's like, yeah, go, go get whatever you want to get, you know, like within reason, (laughs) but, but like, don't feel bad about going and buying yourself lunch once a week at work, you know, or it's like the whole time they're eating the salad they bought at whatever. They're just like, I shouldn't have spent that 10 bucks. And it's like, no, you you're doing fine. Like you should. And I think it's because for so long, a lot of times what has happened is for so long, people were like, you know, pinching pennies and trying to do these things to like really get out of that debt that they had. And now that they're out of it, they're like, but I don't know like how to actually enjoy the money that we make. Mm. And so that's been a really interesting concept to be like, no, like you guys are doing really well. You're going to even be retiring earlier than what you thought. If you continue kind of on this plan that we made and what have you. And, and so really like understanding that spending is not bad. Like people are always like, well, are you a saver or a spender? And people assume that being a saver is like a good thing. And the, like the reality is like everyone spends and everyone should be saving, you know, like that's just every, everyone is both. And so there's not a bad thing to spend on so long as your ducks are kind of in a row and you're kind of making the steps towards your bigger, greater goals, then good. Yeah. Get the things that bring you joy and don't feel badly about buying them. So that's a whole nother mind shift change that I've worked with a lot of, a lot of people on too. That's really interesting. You did mention medical debt and I wanted you to kind of share a little bit if you're open to it. We had talked quickly since I have like, I got, I don't know if she's still in the newborn phase. She's eight weeks. Um, <laughs> When does that end? Yeah, I still have a newborn. (laughs) We talked a little bit about like medical expenses that come with a birth and you had some tips. Do you want to go over that real quick? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, medical debt is like the scariest thing or medical expenses. I shouldn't even call it debt, but it just expenses in general. For us, what happened is we we do have insurance. We had um, 
my, this was for my son and insurance paid on it, but we still owed like $3,000, I think on out of pocket. Um, and I was just like waiting to pay the bill. Cause I knew this is how it works. Like the medical system is so messed, but they, they actually called one day and was like, if you pay your bill in full, we'll take 25% off the total amount that you owe. And I said, great. Will you take 30% off? And she said, yeah. And I said, okay, cool. And I wrote the check and, or, you know, gave her my card number and we went on our merry way. You can negotiate almost all medical expenses and please dear God do it because literally, literally all doctor's prices are made up. They're grabbed out of thin air and put on a piece of paper and they're just made up. Like nobody knows why they are what they are. You could go have a birth at one hospital and 20 minutes down the road, go to a different hospital and have the exact same birthing experience and have two different list prices. And the same person could do the other thing and it would be charged differently. Like they are literally, it sounds so insane that they are literally made up, but they are literally made up. And so I get very heated on this, but like, it's crazy. (laughs) So if, if you are experiencing medical debt, one, come talk to me because I would love to help you with it. But two, like, this also happened. My, my, my husband, my son was going through a lot of, um, like he wasn't gaining weight very quickly. And we happened to see a different provider than our standard pediatrician for one of the visits. And the other pediatrician that we saw build us for a level four, there's five levels of care. Level four is quite high. It's like very intensive visit, all this stuff. I'm like, we literally went in for a weight check. Like I put him on the scale we got his weight to see if he was gaining. There was maybe like a three minute conversation and we left out the door and she tried to charge us for a level four. So I called the medical billing office. I was like, Hey, you coded this wrong because there's a medical code that I can Google and know what that means. And she billed us for like a 45 minute visit. And I was like, absolutely not. So then they reviewed it and it's a very long process, but she, they reviewed it. And then they did call me back a few weeks later saying like, yep, our team agrees like it was, you know, building correctly. And so they dropped the price of it, resent it to my insurance, but because this is getting a little convoluted, but we have a high deductible plan. And so basically it ended up saving us that happened twice. Actually, that ended up saving us multiple hundreds of dollars out of pocket. Um, and so just like things like that, like they think they can get away with it because people don't know. And it's true. People don't know because it's really complicated. It can get really complicated. And so I just, I feel so frustrated by it all the time. And I really hope, yeah, basically if your listeners are listening and they have anything medical related, please come talk to me because, oh my God, let me help you. (laughs) Definitely sounds like I picked on something that you're really passionate about. (laughs) Well, and I remember like when we found out we were pregnant, I'm like, okay, you know, you kind of look at, at least we're a couple that talks about money all the time. And we were looking at kind of a different goals and different timelines and one of them was like okay of course we're gonna have our baby next year like what are the expenses and how do finances change around that so I thought okay let me find out how much it costs through insurance to have a baby you cannot find an answer to that question like I could not so I did what I do and I went to social media and I was like how much was your birth and what kind of like give a little bit of detail about the birth if you could like whether you had cesarean or some complications or whatever and the range was astronomical I think I had responses from $500 to $12,000 of what people paid Mm -hmm. as their contribution towards their 
birth. I'm like, how do you plan for this? Mind you, I ended up having a home birth, which had a fixed expense. So (laughs) like that was easy for us to plan in that sense. Um, once we made that decision, but yeah, I mean, otherwise you just wouldn't know you'd be subject to what the hospital puts on the bill because there's a co-insurance portion the way that ours was structured Mm -hmm. yes that has been my experience I actually worked with a woman too who same thing like she was like is can I negotiate this and I was like yes you can so then it was it was great and she got money off and that's how it should be so I'm hopefully you know someone hearing this and can can save some money just by knowing that maybe they didn't know so no that's awesome well I really appreciate our chat. I've had so much fun. I uh, definitely will ask you after this closing question, like how people can get in touch with you. So everything will be linked, but I do want to close out and ask, you know, what is one permission slip you want to leave the listeners? Just the kind of first thing that comes to mind, whether to do something or not to do something. And it doesn't need to be related to today's topic if that's where your brain went. Uh, Oh my gosh. No, my brain went like, I was like, okay, well, it depends on what they're doing in their life right now. Um, No, but I think just generally speaking, if you are somebody that values self-care, which um, you should be a person that values self-care, just know that financial self-care is, should be included in what you do for yourself. And so meet yourself where you're at on your journey, but do start taking the right steps because your future self is going to thank you. Um, and it's just, it's really important to not only take care of your future self, but to take care of yourself, you know, your, your today self. And so, um, wherever you're at, you know, just, just do that. And I don't know, I feel like that was kind of a crap answer, but I also feel like it's so true. Like you have to take care of yourself and your finances are a part of that. Someone needed to hear that. (laughs) Lindsay, how can people stay in touch with you? Yes. No, um, I am coping with Lindsay on Instagram. You can find that's my website also coping with Um, I write pretty much about all things, money, marriage, motherhood, mental health, all of it, um, over there. And then my email is there too, but you can always contact me via email, Lindsay at coping with Um, and come find me, come chat. If you have questions, like everything I do is shame-free. Like I'm like, I am my, my mission is to not like make you feel bad about the choices that you have made in your life. Like that's, that's not it, you know? So, um, yeah, come ask me your questions, especially the medical stuff. I'm like, as you can tell, I get fired up about it. So any of that, I love it. Yeah. No afternoon coffee needed. You got it. (laughs) (laughs) You got it from that conversation. (laughs) Right. Well, awesome. I really appreciated this. And thank you again so much for being on the show. Yes. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to Money Your Way. If you loved this episode or you learned something new, it would mean the world to me if you just took a few seconds and shared it with a friend. I cannot wait to keep learning and growing in this journey together.